This is Banging on the Drum. Welcome to episode 40 of Banging on the Drum. Today we will be uh, interviewing our Badger football expert, Andrew Keel. Andy, how are you doing today? Good, guys. Doing good. Happy right. to be back. Yeah, you got all the knowledge we're going to need for uh, running through the Badger football practice? I hope so. Good, good, good. Riley, how are we doing today? Doing well. I had a few uh, weeks off, but glad to get back on the swing of things right before football season. All right, good. Um, So we're going to jump right into the interview. No intelligence test. You've been on the... uh, on the podcast last time. <laughs> You've been on the podcast enough. I don't think that you need it anymore. <laughs> um, all right. So getting right into the Badger questions, we're going to start talking about camp. Who is the standout camp player um, similar to Romeo Dobbs? Who's Who are we talking about in camp that is uh, really impressive? Um, I think there's a lot of new defensive guys that have looked really good in camp from what I've heard. Um, but the guy I've really had my eye on is uh, Skyler Bell. He's a freshman wide receiver. Um, so it's kind of very similar to the Romeo Dubs. I think he played in uh, the bowl. He played in the bowl game last year. I don't think he got any other time, but he had a couple receptions in the bowl game. But um, he's had a really, really good camp, a couple nice catches. Um, seems to be able to get some separation from our corners. Um, and very similar to the Packers camp, too, uh, the uh, wide receivers and corners seem to be really going at it and taking a very competitive stance, trying to beat each other um, whenever they can from what I've been able to read. So um, the the camp overall, I think, has been pretty good. There hasn't been as much media at the camp. Um, I think they only had four practices that they get to attend this year. Last year was eight. Um, so there hasn't been as much coverage to be able to really have a good sample size of what guys have been doing. Okay, so the corners and the receivers have probably been one of our weakest areas of of both the offense and defense over the last whatever years, right? So kind of forever being a Big Ten team. We've had some decent corners, but our receivers have kind of been lacking. Um, is that going to change? this coming year? What do you think? Um, I hope so. Uh, I think that our corners are a really big question mark. We have a lot of guys. We lost um, on both corner and receiver. We lost a couple six-year seniors that played a lot of football for us. And um, I think our corners are going to be really well. We did a really good job in the transfer market. And then uh, Alexander Smith, who's a returning player, should be a pretty good corner for us. So I hope to see a little bit of jump with that, but I, I don't really know with the wide receivers. I know that Jimmy DK is going to be a really solid number one. Um, and then everything else is a, is just a question mark. It's the first time in five years that we've haven't had Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor as our one and two. Um, both of them played quite a bit as freshmen and sophomores. So um, it'll be kind of a new look and it's um, one of the unknowns about college football that I love, we won't really know until we get into those first couple of games. And then we definitely won't know until we get into that Ohio state game. Um, but the three non-conference games that we have to start off um, aren't necessarily defensive specialist type teams. So we should be able to see some of these guys um, be able to go at least against inferior defenses and, and make some plays. 
Right. And so our first opponent is, remind me again. Uh, Illinois State. Illinois State. All right. And that's September 3rd. Is that correct? Yep. All right. Um, moving on to maybe like the most impressive <clears throat> position we've had historically. Um, what can we expect from the offensive line? I think uh, the offensive line is going to be a little bit improved from last year. Um, I think at the last time I was on, I talked a little bit about the offensive line coach, uh, Bob Bullstead, uh, does a little bit different stuff than the last guy in Joe Rudolph. He Joe Rudolph moved a lot of guys around. He loved versatility. He loved getting guys to uh, just know all the positions so he could get the best five linemen on the field. And Bob Bullstead does it a little different where he kind of puts a guy at a spot and – hasn't perfect that one spot. And I think a interesting example is um, Tanner Bordellini is one of our probably, he's for sure one of our best five offensive linemen, um, but he's not practicing with the ones because Bolstead wants him to uh, really hone in on the center position so he can have depth at the center position. He's not moving him around to guard or tackle, which he could play uh, right tackle or right or left guard, either one. He's a really versatile guy. Uh, really talented offensive lineman, but Bolstead's keeping him um, at the center position um, behind Joe Tittman to get some depth. Um, so I think we'll be really good. I think right tackle is probably our, our only question mark um, of the entire camp. Uh, Logan Brown and Riley Mullman, two really high, uh, highly related, uh, rated recruits, um, are battling for that position. Logan Brown was a massive five-star offensive lineman get from Michigan that we got a couple of years ago. Um, and he just hasn't been able to stay healthy and then um, hasn't been able He moved from left tackle to right tackle and he hasn't really been able to get his bearings for that position. So I, from what I'm reading, it'll be uh, Riley Mullman, who's a redshirt freshman. That could be an interesting um, dynamic there. I'm not really sure. He doesn't have as much playing experience. So that's the only question mark. Every place else is pretty pretty certified with veterans um, or young talent like Jack Nelson at left tackle. All right. Um, so speaking of the offensive line, the guys running behind the offensive line, um, I've heard some impressive things about Malusi. Is he going to be taking over for Braylon Allen? Are they going to bench Braylon Allen? Um, no, I, I don't think so, but I do think it'll be – more of a, a split carry scenario than obviously we saw at the beginning of the year with just Ches Malusi. And then at the end of the year, after Ches got hurt with Braylon Allen, I do think they'll have a, a good one, two punch. Um, Ches has apparently put on just a ton of muscle um, since he's um, been off with his leg injury. So um, hopefully he gets a little bit bigger running in the tackles in the big 10 football. So. Yeah. I mean, he definitely moved from the ACC at, Clemson to the Big Ten, it was a little bit different thing, right? Mm -hmm. Not that the ACC doesn't have good teams, but it, I don't, I just don't know that he was prepared for the violence that the Big Ten is sometimes. And I think just the reads and formations, they run a lot of shotgun at Clemson. They run a lot of read option type plays, and this is more I formation, power football. Yeah. Um, hit the gap and go. Um, and I think he even has said a couple times he's had to make that adjustment a little bit. So I'm excited for him. I, I think he's going to have a pretty good year. I think we could have a nice little tandem in the backfield. Um, kind of speaking of schemes, I know in camp, they're kind of talking about changing schemes. I don't know if you heard anything on that. And do you know what that looks like and how that impacts us at all? 
No. So uh, with, with Bobby Ingram um, coming in as the offensive coordinator, I don't have any specifics, but I have heard there's a little bit um, more dynamic type offense, more pushing the ball down the field. Um, good feedback on the wide receivers. They're obviously really confident, and, but it's not exactly the position group you can trust. They're always confident whether they're good or they're bad. So um, that's another thing that it's kind of just wait and see. There hasn't been enough practice um, to be able to see that. Spring ball was a little bit more open to the media, but Bobby Ingram was very new. Um, so it was more just basic stuff. But um, I think it'll be a nice little blend. I, I would expect some different wrinkles. I would expect it to look a little bit different. But uh, with the offense, I don't really know if I should expect things or I'm just hoping for it to look different and hoping for something um, new and more, uh, I guess, just in tune with kind of how college football is played. Yeah, so kind of moving on towards more of a like run and gun type style. Um, do you believe that that would benefit Mertz? And how has he looked so far going forward in camp? So I think from everything that I have read, uh, Mertz seems to be getting the ball out quicker. I think that's probably going to be the biggest difference in the offense. Um, that is going to be obvious. Is probably some more quick reads, quick decisions that's got to be made um, because when he's quick and on time, he plays well. When the pressure comes and he's got to um, stand in there and make a throw is kind of where some of that stuff comes up. But uh, I've heard the same stuff we've heard for two years. There's there's flashes of just elite talent with his arm. Um, and then, you know, the next play is a bonehead decision um, where uh, something goes on. But I think – um, it, it happened with Jordan Love in the preseason game. We, we've heard that there still may be some learning some routes from the wide receivers. Um, when the media was there, anytime I think Merce threw one interception and he went right up to the wide receiver and they had a conversation. And, uh, according to the media, it's pretty obvious that Merce was telling him exactly what he should be doing on the route um, because either he broke it off or he, he made a different hot route and Merce threw an interception, just which looked apparently looked really bad just to a wide open defensive player. Um, which usually means there's some pretty big mis miscommunication. So um, it's wait and see. I keep saying that about Mertz, but I just we don't I don't have enough information. I really hope he takes the next step. Um, I really hope that this new offense maybe refocuses some of his attention, quick decision making. Um, would love to see the ball come out more, especially when most of our need in passing is third and six, third and seven. It's not. You know, with the run game, we're usually not finding ourselves in third and 12 situations. So. So what do you think kind of the ceiling and the floor of this Badgers team this year? I know. Um, well, obviously, we have Ohio State we have to play and we're on the road for quite a few tough opponents. But like what what's best case and worst case scenario in your eyes for this season overall? Um, I think the worst case scenario is very similar to the last two seasons. I think we're um, worst case scenario. I think we're an eight win team um, and we're just kind of we beat up on the teams that we should and then we lose to the teams that we shouldn't and we look bad on offense. I think that's kind of the worst case scenario. That means our program's stale um, and that's something that's very difficult to get out of. So um, best case scenario, I I think making a Big Ten championship game and, and having a puncher's chance against Ohio State, I don't anticipate us t 
taking a leap in the sense that we're going to be um, threatening Ohio State. If we would have retained more defensive players, maybe we would have had a little bit more confidence. But there's a lot unknown. We have a, a talented defensive uh, depth chart. So guys could plug and play, and we could not take a step back on that. And if our offense takes a step forward, um, we're looking at a 10-11 win team. But um, we have to look different offensively in order to get there. And that's and that's just something that um, we haven't in the last two two years. Um, so unless we make those changes, um, I think a realistic, I would just, I anticipate 10 wins. I think I said the last time I was on, I expect to win every game in the West every year. Um, but the, the West is getting better too. Um, so I'm excited for like what that could bring. Um, but I'm not nervous about losing. I'm not nervous about, you know, going six and six or seven and five. I definitely think we're an eight win team, um, based off of our non-conference too. So, um, I'd like to say the ceiling's a playoff hunt, but I still think, um, Ohio State is just too far ahead of us to make those decisions. Even if we beat them in Indy, um, there's going to be a lot of questions that come up. All right. So you mentioned the defense and that it seems like we have a pretty talented, uh, like depth, right? But we we did lose a fair number of guys last year from our defense. Um, who's going to be a standout? Uh, in which position group is probably going to dominate? the most for the Badgers? Uh, there's going to be two obvious standouts. I think there's two pros um, starting on our defense and uh, Keanu Benton um, at nose tackle. He's spent a lot of time in the offseason working on his stamina. There's a whole lot of articles out now, Mike, you'll like this. He spent the offseason uh, with the uh, UW wrestling coach um, and they spent a lot of time wrestling to work on stamina um, and being able to be a three down type player. I guess that's what he got. Um, he applied for uh, the NFL draft to see where he would be projected. And it was seventh round undrafted because he's a two down guy right now. He, he doesn't have the stamina to stay on the field um, for three downs. So he spent the whole off season um, working on that. Um, and I think our defensive line overall is going to be really good. Um, I think we lost a, a really good guy, Matt Hentenson, um, but placing him with some talented people. And then uh, the other guy I think is going to be uh, potentially a chance for first team all big 10 is Nick Herbig. Um, he's flashed for two years um, as a, as a true freshman played as a true freshman, as our most uh, I'd say talented position group at outside linebacker. And he continued last year having a massive year. And uh, I think this year will be the same. So I think our outside linebacker group is, the best recruited position we have. Um, and I think it's our most talented position outside of the offensive line. Um, so I'm excited to see some of the the guys that they've been recruiting the last couple of years, um, particularly on the other side of Nick Herbig, they've been focusing on a lot of pass rushers, converted high school DNs to outside linebackers. And um, Chris said today, he goes, I could run down six or seven guys and I'm excited for each one when they're on the field. So I think there's a lot of really true talent and I think we're going to see a little bit more of a, a rotation. Um, a lot of guys getting action, a lot of guys being able to step in and um, give guys a rest for, for a, uh, a series or two during the game. All right. So I'm going to have you put on a different, little bit different cap and not what we know, but what could happen here. Uh, 
is Graham Merritt going to take the step forward this year? Is he going to be an in-game plus quarterback for the Badgers? I would say that he's been even, right, for the last two years. Is he going to be a plus quarterback this year? Uh, I don't think so, uh, and that kills me to say that. I just haven't seen it. I think what – the thing I get most frustrated with is the depth at that position. He doesn't have anybody pushing him to be elite or pushing him to be able to lose his job. Um, Chase Wolf has proven that he's Graham Mertz without the upside. I, I think he makes some terrible decisions. Um, and then the guys behind him just aren't aren't there yet. Um, I think it's possible. I think there's tons of examples in college football every time that a big step from third year to fourth year, fourth year to fifth year, that those things can easily happen. I think a new offense helps the fact he's learning it all with the wide receivers, learning it um, fresh in his mind, but it's tough. It's, it's tough to say because if he eliminates the fumbles on handoffs and the dumb interceptions, um, is that taking a step forward? I like, you know what I mean? Like he's not taking a step forward to be, be the reason we win games. I don't think, I think he could take a step forward and be the reason we don't lose them, which is what we've seen the last couple of years with his turnovers. Um, but I think overall, I don't think he's going to be the guy we all hoped. I just, I think it's pretty obvious. Um, well, that, I, w- I would say that we were probably hoping for Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson plus when we signed him, but he was more of a passing quarterback in uh, what was it, Overland Park anyway. He's a guy who set all kinds of passing records for at least his high school, if not the Kansas City area. And so oh, yeah. that's not really the team we are either. Yeah, and I think, I mean, he he's had a lot of growing pains. I think the first snap he took under center was at Wisconsin. So, like, there's a lot of stuff like that, that, that handoff structure, all that stuff. And I'm just really curious what that offense is going to look like if they're going to put him in the shotgun more. Um, and allow the running backs to run out of shotgun. I, I don't know. I, I, I think the offense uh, is going to, it's going to look a lot like what we've seen um, on first and second down. I think third down is where the difference is going to be, but in, in camp, he's had some big time, big time throws. Um, and we've seen a few of those four or five throughout the season. He had a couple against Notre Dame last year. Um but I think the big thing with Mertz is if he can get protection, I, I think the thing that goes underlooked with him is our offensive line has not done great in pass protection um, when we've gone against really good defenses. Michigan, Penn State, Notre Dame tore us apart. Um, and if he has time and he can play in rhythm, then I think he can be effective. But I don't think he's going to – he's not going to take us anywhere that we wouldn't go as long, you know. If he can eliminate turnovers and – terrible throws, then I think we have a, a good chance to win 10-11 games. All right, Riley, you got anything else for Andy? I got a few more, but they're all like future, like what the season looks like. So if you got anything team-specific, let's get into that. I, I think I'm ready for some future ones. All righty. So, all right, we're going to just kind of roll it as this, the way it kind of plays out. You did mention this. Let's just get a solid answer. How many games do we win? I want an exact number, not a, like, I think we're an eight-win team. 
So I think uh, I think our over unders at nine. Am I right on that? I think we're right at that. I think we'll be. I think we'll be a ten win team. Um, I think our three non conference games should be easy wins. I think people are overrating Nebraska in the best three and eight team of all time last year, or whatever <laughs> it was. Um, I still think we have Minnesota's number. Uh, and Iowa can be the Iowa. Iowa can be anybody. I'm not worried about anybody else in the West. Um, people have Purdue high on their list. I, the thing that's going to be tough is our crossover games are tough. We're going to at Ohio State, at Michigan State, um, and when, the teams that we play in the East. And Michigan State had a good year. Everybody's high on them. They've done a really good job recruiting, but um, we've seen teams do a good job recruiting before, and I, I'm not scared of Michigan State. Um, they're actually my least favorite team in the Big Ten. I can't stand Michigan State. Um, and I I think we're going to go in there and our defense and our offense is going to be just fine. I'm not scared of Michigan State at all. I expect to beat them. I expect to be a better program than them um, just based off consistency. And um, their year was last year, so I don't think they're going to be able to duplicate that um, in a way that I'm nervous about going to East Lansing. Yeah, so that's fair. So we believe we believe the over under on wins is nine. Maybe it's nine and a half, but Andy's going with bet the over. Now, is that biased or unbiased, Mr. Keel? Um I think it's probably I don't know. I think it's it, there's probably bias in there. I think there has to be, uh, yeah. with how big of a fan I actually am, especially this close to the season. This is about the time of the year where I you know, in my heart, I'm saying we're going to go 12 and 0, and we're going to do it. This is our year. Um, but at the same time, I do think people who are really high on Michigan State or really high on Nebraska and other schools, um, I don't, I don't feel that way. I, I definitely am scared shitless of Ohio State. Always will be. Um, but the other programs in the West, I expect to beat them. I don't care if they're up, they're down. They had a good recruiting class. It's just been our job to beat the piss out of them for the last ever since the the divisions were made. And like I said, I just don't trust Michigan State to be a consistent program. Um, I know Mel Tucker has got a big deal. He's done a great job in recruiting. They're in on people that traditionally they just shouldn't be in on. They're they're pulling four and five star guys everywhere. They're hitting the transfer portal like crazy, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a good team. Um, and I don't think they have a home run quarterback, and I, I think Wisconsin has proven when they can get after a quarterback who's not elite, um, teams really don't know what to do with us. Now, we just got to score more than 14 points and 17 points against those teams. But I think it's homer, but I also think it's it's pretty tuned in to what the Big Ten is. And it's our non-conference is easy. I think that's the big one to get to 10 wins. Yeah. Now I say okay. that, and, and then Washington State could take us on a run and shoot. God knows what could happen, um, but we should beat them too. Yeah. So I mean, they're a run and shoot team, but they don't play very good defense when you're a run and shoot team. Nobody does. Right. Um, so we should be able to run the ball all is what I would assume, especially with a back like Braylon. All right. Uh, do we win the Big Ten West? Yeah. Yeah, I think we do this year. I think I was 
Iowa's got a really talented defense. They really do. They have recruited really well. They've gotten uh, higher recruits than us on defense the last several years. They got a huge safety that we were in on um, in last year's cycle. Um, they play great team defense, but I I think they're just they're worse than we are on offense. They're just a dog shit offensive program. Um, and Iowa's year always depends on if they get a plus four plus fourteen turnover margin and if they run six of those back. Like that's just Iowa. They have the dumbest luck every year when it comes to defensive touchdowns. Um and if those things don't go their way, I, I think their their offense just does not have what it takes to be competitive with, with ours. So a lot of people are high on Iowa, but I don't see it offensively. I know we're not an offensive juggernaut, but we know what we can do. And Iowa doesn't always have that same run game. It's the same style. It's the same type of goals, but – um, they often don't have the firepower at running back and haven't been able to hit the big, big plays like we have the last, you know, six, seven years to be consistent. So, like, how, like, untuned in is the safety that chooses Iowa over Wisconsin when we have a guy like Jim Leonard? This is an off the, off the cuff question. Sorry. No, I think it's a recruiting question. They're my favorite. Um, I think Iowa has a really good defense and what they do in the defensive backfield that we don't is put guys in the league and that um, in the secondary, they have constantly been able to put players in the league. They've corners, safeties, and those players have done well for themselves um, and been able to stay there. That's something that we just haven't done with a good defense. Um, and I think that's probably why they, they have a, um, Iowa does a great job with like their legacy recruits, which means like players that are connected to the program through their parents or somebody's uncle or family members. And um, some of the defensive guys have had that, those kind of ties, um, but they they're putting secondary guys in the league more than we are. So I think even though Jim Leonard may be better, Iowa's got a track record of an excellent defense and those guys get into the league. Yeah. So Iowa likes their brothers, sisters, uncles, cousins, right? So, uh, maybe uh, I do have a cousin that's uh, that's uh, you know his first year at, at as an Iowa offensive lineman. Um, so, I admit, Iowa's nice. Iowa's great. I like their. Oh their come on. that's an, like an easy like low low hanging fruit Iowa joke. It's all good. Um, so. All right, so Big Ten West, think it's the Badgers. The only real competition is Iowa. Do we win the Big Ten? Uh, no. Um, I don't think this is the year. Um, I think Ohio State um, is going to get better on defense. I think they're pretty young on defense, and I think the amount of talent that they have on the offensive side of the ball is – uh, just going to be difficult for us to be able to keep up with. Uh, I think what did they have like two first round projected wide receivers um, that were backups last year. They have potentially the number one overall quarterback selection. I know people like Bryce Young from Alabama, but he's like five eight um, and a like really small. Where C.J. Stroud is um, got really good arm talent. He's six three. He's big, um, but. I don't think this is our year. 
to do that. I think the year for us to win the Big Ten and beat Ohio State is a year when they're tr- transitioning in one of their freshman redshirt quarterbacks that um, has a ton of talent, ton of talent around him. Um, but maybe we get some pressure on him and are able to control the game and and get lucky um, in Indy. But I don't. This year, I think they're going to be a well-oiled machine. I think it's going to be what we've seen in the past, where I think they're going to rip rip through the Big Ten. Yeah, that's disappointing. All right, so uh, the only game we lose is to Iowa or Ohio State both times. Do we make it to the national or to the tournament, the the playoff? Uh, if we're sitting there at 10 and two with two losses in close games to Ohio state and the sec beats up on each other and there's Notre Dame doesn't have a good year. Um, maybe, uh, I think with four teams, I just, I think we're, it's going to be very difficult. I I'm super excited if they continue to discuss expansion and, and be able to have, um, a more wide base of, of playoff teams. Um, that being said, I don't want to be a 16 seed and play Alabama. Um, but I do think that if it was an 18 league, uh, 18 playoff, we would have been in it several times and represented ourselves with some of the teams we've had over the cu- last couple of years. I think people have underestimated how talented some of the teams we had were. Uh, 2019, I think, um, I think we were a super talented team. We had an NFL wide receiver. Uh, the best running back in uh, the country, great offensive line, great defense. Those, that's a year where we could have jumped in as a sixth or seventh team and, and you know, challenged some people with just how we play. But I don't think uh, this year has uh, any hope for, for that outcome, just with what Ohio State has, um, even like a team like Michigan, you're not sure what they're going to be. Um, Penn State has done a pretty good job recruiting. I just think those teams in the East are still a step ahead of us. Yeah, so I would I would argue that the only way the Badgers can make it is if they run the table and Ohio State doesn't have a good team. Michigan doesn't have a good team. I, I'm not going to throw Penn State into that same argument, but if you're um, – Blue and Mays or Scarlet and Gray, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt of the vote. That's just the way college football is, has been, and always will be. Like that's that's part of the reason Alabama made it or Georgia made it last year is because not that they didn't deserve to be there. They were a great team, but like they lost to Alabama in the regular season and still made it in. And to me, I don't understand. I mean, and then they won the national championship, though. So. I get it. I get it. So the the year that I always <laughs> come back to, so the year I always come back to is the year that Michigan and Ohio State are one and two, and I don't know, like, where they fell, I, who was one and who was two. Ohio State wins by three points. It's like 40 to 37. And then they they put somebody else in there, right? They so put Florida, a, a one-loss Florida team. Right. And but they were one and two. It was a like a tight game. And then like three years later, LSU and Alabama do the same thing. And they put both of them in the national championship game, right? Before the playoff had happened. I think it, it comes down a lot to like 
what your pedigree is in college football. And as of now, the Badgers haven't won any national championships since the what forties that I think that was on your test last time. And with that, you're never going to get the benefit of the doubt from the voting public. I would agree with that. I do. I do like the committee aspect versus like the AP poll and things. I do think that there's enough uh, diversity, unbiased football diversity within those committees that do do a good job um, with deciding some of that. But um, yeah, I just think four teams is tough. I especially with how it's set up now that everything's so focused on the playoff. Um, you know, we can make a Rose Bowl this year and people will be like, yeah, but it's not the playoff. And it's like, what the, yeah. it's the Rose Bowl. It's still amazing. Uh, but and that's just the reality of where everything is at with how college football shifted based off the playoff, which I love. I love the playoff system. I just want it to be bigger. Yeah, I would I would like to. I think it would be cool to see bigger than 16, honestly. Like, I think I think 16 rounds out really nice. But the college, the way college basketball plays out is awesome. It's just almost too many games for college football. Yeah, it's it's too many games and so like say you do 24 teams, like you really want 8 and 4 Oklahoma State going and playing number 1, you know, Alabama and like just think of what that matchup would do. I I think 16 is is good. I think it's still enough of a, a puncher's chance, but I'm, but if you look at some of the elite teams that have won national championships the last five years, like there has been nobody's beating these guys. And I think that's the the tough part about where college football is at right now. And it's always been like really elite teams, you know, blue bloods dominate. Um, but there's just no chance that some of these teams would have lost the last couple of years. When LSU beats the number two team, in the country that hasn't lost in two years by 30 points in the national championship. That's just. Do you think that that's actually changed and like the championship game is now less competitive than it was in the past? Or do you think that there's always been the teams that just run rough shot, right? So USC was that right up until Texas came in and Texas was also a team like that, right? Yeah. Miami was that until Ohio State beat them. Right. Um, I think it's gotten worse with the playoff with like the four to five teams that have dominated. I think the recruiting rankings reflect that. Um, and I think it's NIL was supposed to balance it out, but the teams that recruit well are just now paying people and the teams that didn't recruit well, like in the big 10 um, outside of Nebraska, just aren't really going to be jumping into the, the NIL stuff similar to like Texas A&M and other like Southern schools are doing right now. That's it's the wild West down there. And that is what it is. That's how it's all, until there's something consistent. That's just what it's going to be right now. Anybody that wants to come to the Badgers, they can get a free twelve pack of soda from banging on the drum. Just so, just you so never, you must have never sent it to Arch Manning because he ended up at Texas. I gave him the offer. He didn't, he wouldn't accept my sun drop offer. He doesn't understand what good soda is. Probably going to yeah. be terrible. 
I think he took fifteen million uh, in NIL is what I I saw that it costs. All right, so that's another like uh, area that I'd like to get into. Just quick, I'm not sure how prepared you are for this, but like, how is it that there's college quarterbacks that are there's going to be a couple that don't even pan out? Graham Mertz is probably a great example of what might have happened had NIL been something during his high school days that won't even pan out. They're going to make more than like a productive NFL quarterback. I think there's going to be quite a bit of market correction on that over the next three to four years. Like the first time some big booster collective gives 9 million to a guy who then transfers in 18 months, it people are going to stop wasting money like that. But right now it's, the first time they've been able to do this stuff legally and for these type of amounts and be competitive with other buyers on the market. So I think prices are higher right now, but I also think the value of those guys are worth it. Um, a good quarterback at Texas is worth well over $15 million over four years, in my opinion, for what it does for the school fan base, all that stuff. Um what it does for other recruiting, like Arch Manning, as soon as he committed to Texas, they rolled off four or five other, you know, top 100 recruits. Um, that type of stuff is worth every penny. Um, and, and I think it's going to get higher next year and the year after. And then that's when we'll start to see a cycle of guys who don't pan out, people wasting 10, 15 million dollars. Um but there's a, I don't know how much you followed any of it, but there's like con, the contracts they're signing for these NIL deals are so unique for transfer markets where they can only collect on the money if they're doing these type of promotional deals and these type of things in the a specific area or state. So if Arch Manning goes to Texas, all this stuff is supposed to be in Texas and then he transfers to Georgia, he can't like collect on any of that money. Um, from unless, my unless this stuff is happening in Texas. Yeah. So okay. that's kind of he could he could quit football and still do all these obligations and they'd have to pay him. And that stuff is going to happen. Um, and that's when some of this stuff will get a little bit more tightened up. But I think college football is going to change a lot. I think there's going to be a union within two years and it'll be interesting to see what schools um, continue to push forward with stuff like that. Yeah, so I love the NIL deal. I don't want to like pretend that I don't. I just don't understand how. I mean, as Badger fans, we see guys that come in highly recruited, like really like we we love them. We think they're going to be awesome. They're going to change the program, and they just don't, right? And so that has to happen at every program in the country that somebody comes in. Um, the number one recruit in the country, even like a Jadavian Clowney, you expect, oh, not, you know, now we're going to be something like massive on defense. We're going to have the best player in the country coming in to South Carolina. South Carolina wasn't good in any of the four years that he was there. Yeah, I, it's like I said, I think that's where the market correction will come. But I don't think players are getting those type of big deals unless they're quarterbacks. Um, I think where you'll see a lot of players get those type of deals that are in the non-quarterback position or in the transfer market, like with uh, the Pittsburgh wide receiver that went to USC. I 
I want to say his name is Jordan Addison. Um, he got so much money for like a one-year deal. More money than a lot of wide receivers are going to make in the NFL right now. Good wide receivers, too. Good right. wide receivers. Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe that's why they all held out in the NFL this year and then got paychecks. But um, I think that's where you'll see like the positions that our non-quarterback really start making the money. If I was a Badger okay. collective leader, I would – I would just go after wide receivers. I wouldn't even go after quarterback. I would spread all my money out on wide receivers and then just hope that some Joe Blow can throw it far enough for them to go get it. Because I, I think even with, like, the quarterback play that we've had over these last several years, it's been so average. You throw some of these guys that are at Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, anywhere, I think they'll be as effective as, as they are there no matter who the quarterback is. So Yeah, if you could just get the number four guy from Ohio State. Or the, I mean, so I can't remember which one transferred from Ohio State to Alabama. And I get it. Like you're transferring from one elite program to another, but he transferred from Ohio State because he couldn't start, and he ended up at Alabama. Like if you could just, as the Badgers, scoop that guy. Yeah, that'd be that'd be in the transfer portal. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's kind of what I hope we get to. But I, I don't think. There's a lot of schools in the Big Ten that have pushed against that. I think Wisconsin's one of them. Michigan, which is a surprise to me, has been one of them. I thought they would kind of dive all in and try to catch up with Ohio State that way. Um, but Jim Harbaugh saying that he's not giving anybody NIL deals till they get to campus, and I think that's going to cost them. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that – I guess I don't know where the Badgers stand on that, but I would assume that that'll be corrected too, is that everybody will get them. Right. And what's the harm in giving a kid that's coming in the same fifty thousand dollars you already given him in, in uh education, right? For each year. That is not the end of the world, I don't think, especially for any of these. Even down here, cool. I'm I'm near SMU, but they just gave all their players on their rosters thirty five thousand. Like that if you walk around if you tell a college kid, Oh, here's thirty five thousand a 20 year, year old you're going to be persuaded even a little just a little bit compared to those schools that don't offer you anything so Riley, i think even something like that didn't they yeah. do that for all of their like athletic department or something crazy like that i thought it was more than just the football team i thought it was like true men's basketball and women's basketball but i thought they did i heard about that where it was a big story because it wasn't just the football team i thought i could be wrong i'll look that up right now Right, so if if they're giving that to all their athletes, right, that would be like really impressive. That would yeah. be like it's, a very it, very more than the football team. I don't think it's just the athlete or just the football team. Yeah, just I uh, can't go by just headlines, but this headline says SMU football men's basketball players re- receive thirty six thousand annually. Yeah, and so, so I think it's just the the higher rated or the more more watched programs for SMU. Yeah, and like that's going to bring in your your walk ons will make it. It'll be easy for your walk ons, right? So you get a preferred walk on or whatever. That makes accepting that really easy. Where you can probably lose that guy to like a Northern Illinois or a Western Michigan. 
if you don't offer it, right? So it, if back in the day when JJ Watt was coming into college, if they would have offered him a preferred walk-on with $40,000 attached to it, he probably ends up at Wisconsin right off the jump instead of transferring into Wisconsin. Yeah. And I, one thing I think it will affect is players like jumping early. I think you'll see a lot more guys like stick around, um, not like first and second round guys, but those guys who are on the cusp of third, fourth, fifth round. Um, if they're stars at their local colleges, they're going to stick around because they got they got financial stability and then try to put in another year to go get the millions instead of hopefully a roster spot after camp. So I think that's right. what we'll, we'll see some effects in college football, especially in the Big Ten. I think that'll happen a lot in the Big Ten. Uh, so I guess this was an argument. I don't know if it was on your last episode, but do you think that L.A. has a better opportunity at NL, NIL deals or say, I mean, so even Columbus is pretty small or like the Badgers? Um, so this is what I, 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 it should be the smaller areas, in my opinion. Um, it, it would make sense, like, especially in, um, states that don't have, uh, professional football teams. But if you look at a place like LA, it's got the Clippers, the Lakers, the Dodgers, uh, two football teams, two, two baseball teams, two basketball teams, who gives a shit about UCLA, um, in that market. And that's kind of where I thought it would happen. I thought it would give smaller area schools a better chance, but. I just maybe there's just so much money going around out there. Um, USC is a kind of a different. They're a blue bud. They're gonna they're gonna have the backers. They're gonna have the fans. Um, it's a big but, acting school too. So like you might be getting the money from donors like that. Yeah, right? that absolutely. like you have really famous uh, actors that went to school. Yeah, so I always I, I always thought the same way, Mike. I thought it was going to be, and maybe it will be. We're still, you know, a year into this. So, but right. I always thought that would give schools uh, like Wisconsin or like Iowa, Nebraska. I think Nebraska is going to take big time advantage of the NIL over the next couple of years. Um, I'm hoping I'm hoping they go three and eight again. Scott Frost gets fired, so they have to kind of reset. But um, I think that's a school like they don't have. Their whole state cares just about Nebraska. They're going to yeah. have big time money available. Um, well, so I had the same line of thinking. Yeah, I don't get why I LA think attractive at all. I think about Madison and like the way I assume Madison is is that football players are gods in that city. I watch. I don't. So I watch like guys like Ron Dane walk around, and he acts like to this day. He is still a celebrity in the in the city of Madison. Yeah, you and you, even on like a smaller scale, Monty Ball came back to that area. Why? Because he was able to establish a career after his situations in the NFL and what he went through. And um, he walks around; he's famous. Like, yeah. And you think about that. I think about that a lot. I always was saying that like it's going to help player places like us. Wisconsin's going to crush this because they're a draw. Like, yes, that depends on nobody, whether or not we're willing to give money. Though. Exactly. Right? And that's, I get annoyed 
I just want to give players. I just want to collect it. I want to give people money. Let's, yeah. let's get in the game here. But I, we talked a lot about that in our last one, I think. So. All right. Wrapping up our interview with Andy Keel on Badgers camp and what we're going to be doing uh, for the college football season. I just want to ask one thing from Andy. Is there anything we missed? Is there something you want everybody to know? I think this is going to be a great year for us to really just show off our depth on defense. I don't think we're going to take a step back on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think that our front seven is going to be just as good as it was last year, and I'm hoping that um, our back-end play um, can give us what we've seen the last couple of years. I think that people have had issues with some of our recruiting and some of things like that, but what people haven't been paying attention to is just how many studs we have at the linebacker position. We're not having issues with depth chart and identifying the ones because people are bad. It's because everybody who's at those positions right now is doing an amazing job and is really talented. Um, and I think uh, I'm excited because we're going to see a lot of new faces. We've had the same faces for a couple of years and on the outside, on both offense and defense, we're going to see new guys. And I think one thing the fan base is going to identify this year is like what we can do in the transfer market with a guy like Jim Leonard, with a consistent defense. When we go out and we get all these different types of corners, um, super talented guys, guys that have started in other areas, seventh year seniors from Toledo that are just going to come in and know how to, how to play big time football. And I think that's stuff that, um, fans need to pay attention to and need to be excited for because we're going to be able to plug holes on our defense when we have them in the transfer market. And it's going to be new guys every year. Um, but I think our, this is going to be a big year for us to show off what we've done recruiting defensively, particularly at the linebacker position. Uh, Sanborn and Chanel, I think, are both going to be really good NFL linebackers. And I don't think we're going to take a major step back losing them. Now, we might not have the Chanel, who's just a, a freak, animal, crazy person at middle linebacker jumping snaps, but we might have more consistent play with coverage. We might have more uh, versatility with some of those guys. Um, and I think our pass rush uh, with our outside linebackers is going to be pretty pretty strong this year. Daryl Peterson on the other side of Nick Herbig, uh, TJ Bowlers, both – had insane sack numbers in high school um, and are going to be playing a position that allows them to just pin their ears back um, and really go. And I think that's going to really allow us to, to just kind of show off that we're going to be a good defense year in and year out when Jim Leonard is our defensive coordinator, um, which I hope never changes. I hope he stays forever. So. All right. That's so that's perfect. Um, I think you mentioned Jim Leonard a couple times in that and best defensive coordinator in college football. And if he isn't number one, he's in the top two or three. There's no doubt in my mind. One of the best. Uh, so now we're going to take you out of your comfort zone a little bit here, Andy, and we're going to do a best, uh, best player draft. Players are going to be steroid users in Major League Baseball. 
Um, and it doesn't have to necessarily be convicted steroid users, uh, guys that got suspended. So if you want to take like a bonds, go ahead and take bonds. Um, the requirements are we are going to have to do one pitcher and two hitters. So I'm going to give it to, I'm going to go third. Um, I think I had was the most of an adult during the entire steroid era, right? So I was probably, oh man, I guess, I guess I was pretty young when Bonds probably started using steroids and Conseco probably was using them in 82, something dumb like that. But um, when the steroid era really hit, I was probably an adult. So I'll, I'll go last and I'm going to let Andy go first because he is the guest. Go ahead, Andy. Um, pick one of one is, is obvious. I'm going to take Barry Bonds. Um, what else do you have to say? I, he was a great baseball player. Steroids made him unbelievable to watch. He is, in my mind, the greatest baseball player of all time. And, or maybe the greatest hitter of all time. So, like, he obviously wasn't a pitcher of any sort. He probably wasn't going to make the majors as a pitcher. But he's the greatest hitter. I have ever watched for sure. And I think he's better than everybody in the past because I think talent grows on talent. Right. And I think just like some of the stats of like people like walking him in situations, some like getting walked to put in one run rather than, you know, three or four, it just, it, those things were happening. And that's just unbelievable. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He was, when he was in his prime in which would probably happened at what, 33, instead of uh, 27, he was ridiculous. I mean, he was good before the 98 season when everyone kind of agrees is when he started taking steroids. He was good before that. I think he might have been an MVP before that. Great pick. Great Dude, pick. Is, I have a question. Is there a more obvious like first pick than Barry Bonds as like steroid like best steroid player, like if anything, it's, it's gotta be the one of one picks, the most obvious. Um, so I guess like if you were going to go greatest wide receivers of all time, I think the, like the obvious one of one is Jerry Rice statistically. Yeah. I mean, so like that's the same type of obvious pick, but yeah, Barry Bonds is, is that right. Yeah. All right, Riley, you're up. All right. So, I unfortunately missed a lot of the good steroid use in the MLB. So I'm going off strictly just names, documentaries, stuff of that nature. I want to get my pitcher down. Greg Maddox. I didn't know he used steroids, but I guess he got popped for it. I want to get, get a good pitcher in my team. So I'm going Greg Maddox. Uh, so I think that's a great pick. Um, I did not know Greg had used them either, um, but good for you. I'm a pro steroids guy, as I've kind of made it clear on this on this podcast. Use steroids, especially in baseball. Like, I think Fernando Tatis is like the reason you use steroids. You become elite if you use steroids. And they can't take your money. And they can't take your money. You might as well do it, right? I suppose yeah, if they, I suppose if like there's something in the contract about that that if you don't play subsequent years due to steroids, then like you lose your money, but he still made a shitload of money using steroids, making it to where he was. Um, 
I'm pro steroids, but uh, so I'm going to go with back to back MVPs that won um, that won in the league. And my snake picks here, I'm going to go with Ryan Braun and Miguel Tejada, right? MVP players, both steroid users, just awesome players. So uh, Tejada played for the A's mostly. And I guess maybe that's where it all started with Conseco and McGuire and that crew. But two MVPs, guys winning MVPs, uh, silver sluggers. I don't know that I – Braun definitely did not want to go above. But when it came to hitting those two guys, awesome. I'll take them both, get my hitters out of the way right off the jump. All right, Riley. All right. I'm going to go with uh, a teammate of a, fen- a friend of the program, Sammy Sosa, uh, teammate with Damien Miller, played for the Cubs. Again, one of these very few people I know that actually took steroids, but all I know is he was a hell of a ball player, could hit the ball like no one else. I'm going Sammy Sosa. Uh, yeah, great home run hitter. Love the pick. All right, Keel, you're up. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go with pitcher. I'm going to take Roger Clements. Uh, I think it's, it's very similar to Barry Bonds hall of famer before he ever thought of taking steroids. Um, in one the year he went to the Yankees, did he make like $4 million per inning or something like that pitched? Um, but just the rocket, man, the great nickname, another hall of famer before steroids and like elongated his career. Got his bank account higher. Um, I think that's an obvious pitcher take. Um, now that R- Riley and I both have pitchers, though, sleeper for me was Eric Gagne. He had like 80 saves in a row um, and then got popped for steroids and then like never was able to like pitch consistently again in the uh, major leagues, I'm pretty sure. Um, and then <clears throat> I'm going to go with Mark McGuire. Um, very similar to Sammy Sosa. <clears throat> really, I remember as a, as a young kid that summer where him and Sammy were just like going home run for home run. I was locked in. Um, me and my dad switched off of a movie to see him hit uh, number 62, um, that type of stuff. So I think those those I have just fond memories, even like knowing that they were just cheating their asses off. That was just fun baseball to watch. So. I again, I missed a lot of the steroid use era. I think in the early 2000s. I mean, I was, I was alive, just didn't watch baseball, obviously at the time. But he's one of those players that no matter what, he's just going to get the respect and the notoriety of being a big time baseball player, regardless if he used steroids. Like that right. didn't really damage his image to me. But so my last pick, I don't think he's the best player available but certainly one of the most fun players, most fun personalities in baseball, Manny Ramirez. Um, I think everybody might not have loved him, but kind of maybe had a soft spot for like his personality really, I think grew the game. Um, He was a fun player to watch when I was a kid, right when I was being able to watch baseball, like reasonably, like knowing what's going on. He was a fun player to watch, fun player to, See, so just hit dingers, honestly. 
Yeah, and honestly, one of the best average hitters of all time. I mean, he probably hit for like 320 on his career, which is amazing. Uh, so am I up? Yeah. All right, so I'm with my final one, I'm going to take Andy Pettit. I know that you guys thought that I was kind of lost on who I could take as a pitcher. I think you guys got the two that are probably – the most elite, right? So Roger Clemens and, and Greg Maddox. I mean, so Greg Maddox, I'm not even sure why you take steroids. You were in the league for like 25 years. You didn't ever pitch like super, like super speed, you know, low nineties. You just, you had really, really good stuff. Uh, Roger Clemens obviously had a ton of power all through his career. Makes sense to me. I take Andy Pettit, uh, a guy who I think as like a person who could get into the Hall of Fame or who has the potential to be in the Hall of Fame, statistics-wise, is kind of underlooked, mostly due to the fact that he played with guys like Roger Clemens and was never the number one. He was always kind of the number two, but an elite, elite level playoff pitcher. An elite playoff pitcher, yeah. I wanted to pick Rafael Palmero and just point at the screen as I did. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, that yeah, that that'd have been good. Like but McGuire fell to me. I you know he just fell. To me. Yeah, take him. Yeah, I so I think that I think that McGuire's probably more famous than Palmero, right? Oh yeah, but Palmero was another one. Like he did the steroids, but he never he was an average hitter. Like he he, he got on base. He didn't hit tons of home runs. Yeah, but he can make uh, so, a fool of himself. I mean, so this is kind of just an excuse for me to talk about my controversial view on steroids that they're really, really good for certain games. And I think baseball is one of those games. Um, most games in the Olympics, I think, would be better with steroids. Um, soccer would probably be awesome with steroids because there's no. I shouldn't say there's no contact. There's very, very little like physical contact. And if guys were like, we're just running like EPO. So the Tour de France better with steroids, right? Like when you're running EPO through you and you're uh, functioning like that and you're Lance Armstrong, that's better than the actual product. And you're not hurting anyone but yourself. And if you're willing to do that, I'm cool with it. Uh, the only way you hurt someone in baseball is if you put a line drive at the pitcher's head, which is just unfortunate. It's not like someone's <clears> – I don't think anyone's doing that intentionally. I guess pitchers could throw at people's heads intentionally, but I don't know that, that that's something that happens super often. But I'm pro-steroids. Um, Fernando Tatis got caught like this week with steroids. And so this is my like pitch to major league baseball. Just let him in. Who cares? Take his money, not the games. That's how I would do it. So what do you mean by that? Like he loses money because he's on steroids. Yeah. Like instead of taking away games, like if that's not punishing players, take away percentage of their contracts, but 
the Major League Baseball Players Association is like elite. Like they're not. Yeah. That's never going to happen. But that's, yeah, they. they that's why baseball is another good score for it. Like in football, you get you piss hot, you can get cut, and then it's no harm, no foul to anybody except for your the individual. So. And you can't tell me, like, you see these guys in the NBA. They're fucking yoked. Sorry, language. They're yoked. They, there's no way they're not. There's got to be something else besides a great workout plan going on. So I think that there's guys that are gifted genetically uh, a la uh, LeBron James, right? So like six, seven. Yeah. Built like a tank. Like, so he's not like lean either. And so there's a few years probably in his mid twenties where he was big, right? He was like a big dude. He wasn't lean the way he is today. He's adjusted his body frame in order to be probably more athletic, but yeah, you're right. These guys, I always, I always joke that like people act like they would fight NBA players. The guy who is six, eight, 200. They've never seen yeah, uh, I recently uh, was uh, helping out with the the Battle for Wisconsin game, and Sam Decker, who's a legit pro, like this is the guy who has the body of a pro basketball player. He's a giant. Yeah. He's an absolute giant. Like I was surprised how tall he was, but he he's six seven, right, or six six, something like that. But I, like when I saw him in person, I was like, "Oh, he's huge!" Like it's not, and he's kind of lanky, but he's still huge. Yeah, just a giant. Um, and most of those guys were both football players and basketball players, just massive human beings. But I always think it's funny that you know people think, "Oh yeah, I could take," and they're like five five, hundred and eighty pounds, and these guys are just giants but yeah i would argue that there's guys but they have they have the most um like strength i don't not stringent but like the the biggest punishment for steroids basketball does like it's like 42 or 50 games no matter what right 41 or 50 games like it's half the season right off the jump first one and then the third one, they're expelled from the league if they would get bumped three times for steroids. It's really extreme for basketball, which is weird to me because basketball is another great game that put them on steroids. Let's see what happens. 11-foot rims, steroids. I'm excited about it. You you saw Giannis come into the league. He looked like he had the same size arms I do. <laughs> now look at that man. You cannot tell me that that's just – He's he's an actually a, an actual adult now. Like he came in the league at like 18, 19 years old. I mean, that's a big piece of it. it has to be. So you're telling me that if 18 years old I started lifting like Giannis, that's what I would look like. So I think honestly, I think if you decided to lift on like a four day a week right now and eat properly, you could almost do it today. You could. I mean, like, it takes a lot of actual. You mess up my golf work. game. I can't sacrifice some steroids. No, see, bullshit. Size. Golf would be a great one for steroids, too. Put them on steroids. 
perfect <laughs> game. See, I'm I'm cool with steroids for that, just so Tiger Woods can keep playing. Like, give that man something in his leg every single day. So, and that's another piece of it that I really don't understand is that they're willing to shoot uh, cortisol into somebody's back or knee or. Which the Packers or, don't, by the way. Did you know? That? Uh, I did not. I did not. Yeah, the but Packers like, don't use cortisol or whatever it's called. Yeah, so I think Brett Favre used. A lot of shit when he was like pain oh, numbing pills. stuff. I didn't say nothing about pills. I just know as an organization. <laughs> you uh, see that thing that came out that said he's got like a thousand thousands of concussions. I'm Brett Favre. Thousands yeah. of concussions. So I think. It, I mean, they never like had him like dinged up for a concussion. AJ Hawk claims that he didn't have one. Never have one, right? Which is impossible. So I shouldn't say that. So either his, like his brain, like his skull is like built differently than everyone else's because he rammed it into things as a child and like he just adapted, right? He evolved to be a bad ring ramp, which is, I think, a real possibility, right? Um, or like every time he was had a headache and he passed out and he like went blacked out for you know a half a quarter, he just never reported it, you know. So there's got there's two ways to think about concussions. Like never had one, right? Because no one ever told me I had one, or I've had thousands because I decided to ram my head into things every day for thirty years, right? So if you start in high school, seventh grade. That's going to end up being 30 years of your life. You're just like, let's just go, like, let somebody smash me in the head for no reason. Practice. And, and like, I think that we, like, anybody who played football at even a high school level has had a couple because you get your bell rung once or twice. You know, I wouldn't say that they're severe. Like, I don't think I ever had a severe one, but I definitely have hit my head and been like, man. My head fucking hurts. I assume that's a concussion. But it's nobody's ever play. told me. It took one play like that in eighth grade football to realize it wasn't for me. Oh, come on, man. See, I took one play like that for, for me, and I was like, this is what I love. Yeah, I love built it. different. Built different, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget the first uh, the play. I was a wide receiver, eighth grade, our first year that we had junior high football at Brookwood. And it was a run to the right and I was on the left side wide receiver and I was just like standing there. I was like, I don't got to do nothing. And the kid just came up and just, popped. and I was like, Oh shit, this isn't for me. I don't want to do this. Yeah. Um, I'd rather watch this sport. Hell yeah. I want to, you know, I did a lot. I just got yep. watching this lose a lot, you know? Oh uh, yeah. We lost a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> All right. Andy, I appreciate you taking part in our draft, even something that isn't necessarily uh, your forte, maybe. But uh, I know that you're an overall sports fan, and we appreciate you coming on, giving us the rundown on the batters. The breakdown on the batters maybe is a better better term for it, just due to the fact that it kind of has a nice little lingo. Um, thank you again. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, guys. It's fun coming on. I enjoyed it a lot. I do every time. Good, good. We'll have you back. 
Um, we might need a like an Ohio State Wisconsin breakdown or something. Who knows? You guys gonna come to a game and uh, do some live correspondence or? Uh, I will not do live correspondence from the game. I will maybe watch a game from. Maybe we get banging party. on the drum. Uh, some tickets. See if you can get some press passes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They get a bowl Every game little... down here. I'll... I'll be down. <laughs> there, there you go. They get a bowl game in Texas, maybe Florida. We'll, we'll see what we can do about. You so as your reoccurring field. correspondent, does that mean I get I get my flight comp? Uh, yeah, we'll we'll consider it. <laughs> Reach out to Sundrop, see what they can do. See if, Sun, if Sundrop has been a terrible uh, sponsor of the program so far. So. Oh no. Yeah, I know it's disappointing, but just let's let's remember that every Badgers. Um, recruit that uh, wants an NIL deal and reaches out to banging on the drum. Free twelve pack sundrop. I think just I think things. you guys should just start getting a list and sending it sending it into the athletic department. <laughs> just like uh, this is for this is for all the the here's guys six, on the here's team. sixteen twelve packs of sundrop. Yeah, S- amongst <laughs> the guys. Yeah, SMU gives out banging 30, on the drum. SMU gives out thirty six grand. The Badgers give out a 12 pack of sun drop. <laughs> That'd be a little steep for this uh, podcast, too, I think. One for every guy on the team. Oh, you guys, I mean, it's only 18 every year. I mean, just for the freshman recruits, right? Oh, so yeah, I guess. That's not bad. Yeah. That, that is, that, that's doable. It's doable, right? <laughs> Might have to consider it. <laughs> All right, guys. Good, good idea. Uh, appreciate it, Andy. Uh, we really love having you on. Thanks again. Later. Later. Thanks, Andy. All right. Jumping off the interview with Andy Keel came in, gave us a bunch of information about uh, the football Badgers coming up this year. I think we're going to have a good team. Uh, Andy says bet the over. I'm on board with that. Where are you at with that, Riley? Yeah, I think if they can avoid the Northwestern track game, like the 11 o'clock kickoff in the middle of October, yeah, I think 10 or 10, maybe 11 wins is a real possibility with this team. Yeah, so I, I like the over, um, but you got to remember we're homers. So do your own uh, due diligence and maybe we'll, maybe you can figure out how to make some money on the Badgers. I think they'll be a good team moving forward. All right, we're going to jump into overs and unders. I'm going to let Riley jump off with uh, good things or bad things that happened to him in the last week. So go ahead, Riley. Okay, I'll start with a pretty embarrassing under. I felt like one of the most unathletic people. Um, So unfortunately, I smacked my head on a metal bar at work last week, last two, I don't know, a week ago from today or so. Got like a slight concussion from it, which it's 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 a weak concussion, but it's just embarrassing. I got a little cut on my head. I just have had like a headache ringing in my ears for a week. Like I feel like I'm going slightly insane, but it, it could have been worse. It could, I could have had stitches, could have had a worse concussion, if you can call it that. But I just had a really bad, annoying headache the past week. So, so what were you doing that you did, like ended up hitting your head on this bar, or is that something we want to stay away from? No, it's 
It's embarrassing. So we have a printer that prints out invoices. So I will grab the invoice, kind of get all the stuff together and give it to a driver, get that all situated, get them out on their route. Anyways, the paper from from the printer, from the fan, exhaust fan above, flung out. So I was trying to catch it midair, kind of turned around really quickly and just smacked the, smacked the bar. So it, it, I wish it was something cooler, a little more athletic, but it, it was just me being, just having a lack of awareness. So kind of embarrassing. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, <laughs> but like, I get it too. Like you want to catch that. Like what's the real problem if you choose to let it hit the floor and then just pick it up? Nothing, but no. I can't ever do it. Exactly. I, and, and coworker was like watching the whole thing. And I just like just got my bell rung essentially when I hit my head and like kind of, you know, shocked me right away. Gave got all the stuff together, you know, and then like 10 minutes later, I'm in the bathroom like, oh, like how did, this shouldn't have hurt this bad, like embarrassed, but should have let the. Should have let it just hit the floor. It, it, it is what it is. I, I, I'll learn from the future. Yeah. So I think you say like an unathletic thing, but in my mind, that's athletic, right? Because an athlete isn't going to let that paper hit the floor. They're going to catch that shit. They're going to catch go. that stuff, right? <laughs> and so, like, you are trying to be an athlete, whether you actively were an athlete or not you were definitely trying that's what i would try to do and i don't know that i ever consider myself an athlete these days anymore you know maybe maybe when i was 20 i still did but not anymore that that might have been like the first case of me just kind of getting humbled and being like all right let's tone it back a little so but my over i uh obviously missed i don't know two episodes one of them was because I was up in Wisconsin finally for the first time since Christmas. Got to see family. Got to have a slice of Chicago. Love that place. Um, so I, I just got to visit family. Got to see my niece for the first time. She's, gosh, one and a half-ish now or almost two. Holy cow, almost two. So she's at a young age where she's growing quickly. So it was just cool to kind of catch up with the family and get some good food. Yeah. Uh, catching up with the family is always kind of like a good time for me. Like, and I live three blocks from my parents, but every time I'm there, I takes me 15 minutes to leave. Cause I'm just chatting yeah. with my mom and dad. Right. But yeah, uh, no, it was, sounds like a nice and it was time. a nice, yeah, it was a nice getaway. Cause we were, Gosh, I don't know if I was telling you guys this. We were at like 60 days straight of no rain, over 100 degrees type of weather. So it was just nice to even escape that. So I'll never miss the Wisconsin summers. I love the Wisconsin summers. So any chance I get to go up to Wisconsin this summer, I'm going to try to take it. Yeah, I would argue that for the most part, Wisconsin summers are kind of perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe a little bit buggy. There's days that are hot, but for the most part, they're just almost perfect, like 80, 85 degrees, 
kind of warm, not hot, right? It's not hot like if you go to Vegas or Dallas or Orlando or Phoenix. It's not hot like that. It's just a nice day. You can find water if you drive 20 minutes in any direction if you really want. So, yeah, I would agree with that, that Wisconsin summers, this is the place to be. Yep, exactly. All right, I'll jump into my over, overs and unders. So my under, so uh, my daughter's birthday is in August, and we were doing a pool, a pool party for her, and it was overcast. As I say that Wisconsin summers are perfect, right? <laughs> uh, overcast and kind of rainy. We did get like a decent party in about two, two and a half hours before the rain started. But um, just kind of the weather was kind of junky the whole day. And she didn't care. Um, all the kids that were there didn't care. But it could have been 85 and sunny. If it would have been 85 and sunny, it would have been a perfect day. Just got a cloudy, kind of junky, rainy day. And that is what it is. Yeah. But And then, so my over is the following day, um, we actually went out and we went canoeing on her actual birthday. And I got to teach her a little bit, like, on how, how she should be paddling, like, how she should be doing stuff on the river, which is something I know a little bit about. We don't do a ton of it, but... Like, there's just simple things like when you're canoeing, you go for the V in the river, right? So, like, the you can see a V when you're going down the river. That's where you should aim your canoe to go there. And so, like, just teaching her things like that. That's the deepest part. So, the ripples start closest to you. You don't want to hit those because that's where the element under the water is starting at and then so where it V's and comes together that's where you want to um take your boat is through that sure. part and that's the easiest way to navigate the river um and that that might not be 100 percent true all the time um hmm. i explained that a little differently than i had kind of attempted to because riley was looking at me like i was a crazy person no but, no uh, i or he didn't know, probably, right? No, no, not at all. But so if you're canoeing or whatever and you feel like, oh, man, there's a lot of rapids up there. Like wherever the rapids start the latest is where you kind of want to hit that spot at. And you'll get through there usually unscathed. And we're kickapoo, or we're canoeing the Kickapoo. It's not like this dangerous river. If I fall out, I'm going to stand up and I'm in like maybe like mid-calf. Uh, sure. water it's not it's not a like a thing that we're in danger or nothing but i think yeah. it's kind of a it was kind of cool to just kind of teach her and watch her learn that kind of stuff so yeah that sounds fun um do you i've went canoeing once and just just fell straight in at uh pages grandparents cabin some in some random place in illinois like at i it it was a campground that had like a little river that flew in or went into a lake. I think it was a small little whatever setup, but it like, I thought it, it would be like easy, but 
I never felt more embarrassed than like wobbling in a canoe in front of Paige. And this might have been like one of the first few months of us dating. So I was really trying to impress type of thing. And just just fell right in within like five minutes. And so I, I respect anyone that can just stay on for longer than fifteen minutes. So I think you just need to do it in like the Black River's really good in the lacrosse area to do it on and then the Kickapoo in the Sparta area, right? So you get down to Sparta and you could probably do the lacrosse river outside of Sparta too. Be fine. Cause it's not like this huge river. Now you get closer to lacrosse, those rivers turn into much, much larger rivers. The Black River turns into something big. The lacrosse river turns into something big. But like the Kickapoo, especially around the Ontario area, isn't like this, this river. So if you're ever back home, like you want to do it with some buddies, the Kickapoo River, you know, it's probably like 40 bucks a canoe or whatever. And it's a good time. It's a good three hours. You can bring all the booze you want. You can be there. We go. Just <laughs> like so. This might be like the first time since I was in the seventh grade that I've been down that river without booze. <laughs> and so, and like I didn't drink all through. I don't know if I went all through high school. Like I went to high school in that town, right in Ontario, sure. and I don't know that I ever went as a high school. Maybe maybe like our senior trip was on that. Yeah. I don't remember. Maybe didn't even go. Maybe just skip fucking skip the senior trip. God damn. <sighs> Too much cut today. All right. Um, we're going to be moving on to spicy meatballs. Uh, I'm going to go first on this one. Um, I don't know if this is a spicy meatball or just like a bold take, a prediction about the Green Bay Packers. AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones. Both have over a thousand rushing yards this season. Maybe add a thousand. So somebody might get just a thousand, but over ninety-nine, nine hundred ninety-nine point five rushing yards this season. Both of them. I think we're gonna have an elite level rushing uh attack coming up this season. I think that's 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 one of your spices. I think to have Two guys essentially over, you know, a thousand each is crazy in terms of, especially for what we're used to as Packer fans. Yes, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have the weapons he has. Um, so they'll rely on the run game probably a little bit more, but to have two guys over a thousand yards it would be, would be incredible. One and two, I, I just don't see how that happens. I think that's crazy. And I respect you for saying that. I think I, I think if anyone does it, it's AJ Dillon. I think that's. I don't know if it's a spicy meatball in itself, but I I just I don't think Aaron Jones. Yes, he's done it before, but he. I feel like he's more of a passing type of uh, receiving uh, running back. So I, I don't know if they'll use him in in that type of way, but. To have two guys over a thousand would be absolutely incredible, but very, very uh, far reach, I think. So, how many jalapenos? Gosh, that's one of the spiciest. I, I'm going to go with four. I think right. it's not quite point, not quite a four point five, because I think it's slightly doable if 
both running backs get off to strong uh, start and stay healthy, but that rarely happens when both uh, running backs stay healthy for a full year and put up really productive numbers. So I'll I'll give it four. Pretty pretty dang spicy, but uh, definitely it, it could happen. It could happen. All right. Uh, you got anything for spicy meatballs? I don't. Not, nothing too good, no. All righty. So moving on to hot in the streets. You got anything on your hot in the streets? Um, I guess I – can I bring up Riley's Rage? We talked about it a little yeah, earlier. Yeah, uh, Riley's Rage might be a new uh, uh, segment on the old show. Every week, what are you angry about? Yeah, so uh, this happened, I don't know, two or three weeks ago now. The Brewers traded Josh Hader um, on the trade deadline day, which, love it or hate it, it was probably coming just um, because of his contract situation. But I, one, I think it's just stupid that it seemed like no one really knew it was happening. And it, it just it makes me angry because you could tell we lost we kind of lost the locker room. The fans lost faith, didn't lose faith in them overall, but really just it, it was a punch in the face, I think, to a lot of people in and around the Brewers organization. Um, and I just think it, it reminds me a lot of pre Giannis Milwaukee Bucks. They kind of are hoping to get to a World Series with slightly above average players which I know you and uh, Patrick talk a lot about the Brewer days when you got, when we weren't this good, when we weren't expecting playoff appearances, but it's time to make, take that next step. We've, we've had consistent playoff, not consistent, but we've had enough playoff appearances for quite a few years now that we need to take that next step. And it's pretty clear to me that we're just not, the GM or the owner, I don't know who it is in the organization, but they're just not interested in winning. They're not interested in in paying the big bucks to win the world series. And I know it's not like, you don't need to do that. Essentially the Kansas City Royals proved that, I don't know, two, three, four years ago now, but it's just, it's you. You have to pay money to win to be consistently good in this league, and it just it. I'm dumbfounded that they are confused on why they're not contending. I, I like I said, I get the where they're coming with the Josh Hader trade. He's going to run out of contract, and you want to get something for him. But the return was awful. I think we ended up cutting. I don't know some type of player that we got out of that trade that seems to be not a main piece, but an important piece from that trade. We and we've one been of the struck- guys that I think is probably the second best player on that, in that trade. Yeah. We ended up having to uh, DFM uh, designate for assignment mm-hmm. and he got picked up for Colorado and is pitched. Okay. From the reports I heard. Yeah. And we got a picture from uh, the, the Rangers to actually, I, I watched play once. And of course he blew whatever save he was in when I played, but I, I that doesn't matter. But I just, I, it, I'm dumbfounded that we didn't try to find a bat in, in that um, tr- 
trade deadline just because it was obvious we needed it and we still do. We don't have a consistent bat. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm very frustrated with how the Brewers are ran and I get it. And we're a small market team. We can't expect to contend year in and year out right now, but I just think we're afraid to take that next step and get burned if it doesn't work out, but you just have to, I don't know what it looks like, but trading away all-star relievers and getting very little in return and not seeming to have a plan is coming, is going to come back and bite us, I think. And it, and it, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Yeah. I, I think that your assessment is fair. Um, I think that they will settle out. Like they'll get to the point where they need to be and they'll do really well. Now, whether, they make the playoffs or not, I can't guarantee that they'll make the playoffs anymore. But in early in the season, I would have guaranteed they make the playoffs. Right now, I think that the Cardinals could take them, right? So they're in a position that isn't ideal. They're down a couple games, and they need to fight back. Their hitting isn't good enough to do that. They're back into the rotation or their bullpen hasn't been doing that either, right? So they're not closing games the way they should. They're not doing doing all their right stuff. So the more this goes on, the more I get on your end of it. But I do think that this is what the Brewers are. And yeah. I talked and about this in the solo episode last week, is that if we were 10-7 and seven all year, 10-7 and seven all year puts you at like 95 wins or something like that. 94, 95 wins, um, 67 to, I think it's 67 losses, 95 wins. That's a season most teams will deal with at any point. Now, since then, we've been, and I'll get into this a little bit more, but we've been two and four since, since Friday, right? So we're recording this on Wednesday night, two and four since the Friday podcast that I put out. That's not good enough either. Two and four isn't isn't good enough. And so that puts us at, what did I say, 10 and 7, 12 and 11, which 500 isn't good enough. So you need to start winning games. That's what needs to happen. And losing the locker room, I think, is something that we did. Right? Since the all-star break, I think, I think we're 12 and 11. Slightly above 500. You need to start winning games. Yeah, and to me, being a seller at the trade deadline as the leader of the division is just unbelievably dumb to me. I get, again, I get that you want something for Hater, but if you're, you, they weren't fully in control of the NL Central. I get that. If you even trade Hater and get, a decent bat in return, like a good bat in return and a good the above average closer that solves probably a couple wins for us. I just, I don't think they thought it through. I don't get why you're selling at the trade deadline as top 10 team in baseball with a real chance of making the playoffs. It just, it didn't well, make sense to me. At the break, we were, we were, we were above 500 or uh, yeah. we were number one in the division. Like, yeah, to, it's not that you have a chance. If you 
continue on the status quo, and so do the Cardinals. We make the playoffs 100%. There's no, yeah. So I don't, yeah, yeah I don't, and, I don't know either. It doesn't make sense. Trade them in the winter, be done with it, move on. But yeah. And I, I'm I sure get the frustration, Riley. I understand yeah, and, where you're coming from. And again, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that we for sure were a surefire team with Josh Hader on this team, but I just, you can tell that really screwed with the organization in some way. You can't tell me we've been the same team since that trade. And I get that's business, that's baseball. But I just, I I don't think they thought that one through. And I don't think the way we're ran as an organization, the chances of us ever winning a World Series is slim to none. I think something needs to be changed in the way we structure things, I guess, priorities in terms of contracts and trades and all that type of stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, let's move on to, you got any other ones? No, no. You're done with your hot in the street, so I'll get into some of the things that I saw this week that I really thought was, you know, interesting stuff. Uh, we touched this with Andy. Uh, Fernando Tatis gets caught with uh, just a few roids. No big deal. I don't think that something he should be suspended for. Um, I'd like to like reiterate my belief on this again on this podcast. I talk about it a little bit with inside of our interview. Um, there's no reason we should be keeping steroids out of baseball. Um, maybe the best players of all time. All use steroids. Barry Bonds is in that list. Uh, Roger Clemens, one of the best pitchers that ever existed. Andy Pettit, Ryan Braun, who was a um, league MVP. Uh, Alex Rodriguez, another league MVP. These guys are players who have made the game of baseball. Leave them in. But Fernando Tatis plays for the Padres. Tested positive for steroids. Baseball's kind of ripping apart. They, he's he's claiming it's a ringworm medication. Um, yeah, you know better than that. Come on, like if you take steroids, own it and tell them, yeah, I took steroids because I knew I'd be better at baseball, and I am better at baseball because I took steroids. And put steroids in baseball. It should be like mandatory to play baseball, to take steroids. But that's just yeah. me. I don't, I don't know if I'd make it mandatory <laughs> necessarily, but I... No, you probably should I can't, I can't help to think that it just makes it more watchable. I And this is coming from somebody, again, who's younger, who missed a lot of the steroid era, but like even my... A generation thinks of baseball in terms of the steroid era. Chicks dig long ball. Anybody that 100%. Hits, hits home runs consistently draws eyes to baseball. And it just, that's, it, I, I don't get why they police it as strict as they do. Even if they want to police it, maybe, maybe let a few go just to, because Lord knows the NFL does that with some of their players, I think. And, Maybe a lot of leagues do. I just, it makes it such like a more attractive brand to watch. Like everybody loves watching home run derbies with the big names that can 
hit home runs nonstop. I remember even like some of my earliest baseball memories was watching Barry Bonds go for the what seven forty five or seven fifty five number home run. Yeah. Yep. Seven fifty five um, is the breaking number. I don't know how much further than that he got. So the yeah, funny thing is that I I know what so Babe Ruth is seven fourteen, Aaron Aaron um or Henry Aaron, Hank Aaron is uh seven fifty four. I have no idea what Bonds is. So Bonds is number one. He's got the most yeah. and I don't know what his number is. Yeah, I couldn't but Maybe I know slightly above that. I know Babe yeah, it's not much, but like I know Babe Ruth and I know Hank Aaron. Mm. Right? I know them. Yeah. Because it was more important to know theirs. Like that's the true like um, and I'm a guy that approves of steroids. Like, you should be using them. I want to watch the best players in the league on steroids. Mm-hmm. That's my personal opinion. Um, the Maguire Sosa Summer, think if Griffey would have been on steroids during that time. It would have been amazing. Like, a guy, yeah. like a guy like Griffey, who has just a little bit more power, comes back from his injuries just a few years earlier, or a few months earlier, a few weeks earlier, and is like healthy, healthy, God, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Like to watch Griffey play from 33 to 40 where he's not losing the step. God, I would have loved that. But, you know, or Braun, even the last four years of Braun, and if you could have extended that out three or four years, and you just got MVP caliber Braun for five years, That'd be great. Um, mm-hmm. A Christian Yelich that um, doesn't feel like the mentality is like, yeah, I'm good because I got myself all the way back already and you use steroids to do it. That would be a cool little experiment too. Like, I would have liked that quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Pitchers I don't know 105 you... miles an hour on average would be just electric too. Exactly. I think there's again. I don't. I don't know if you force it to, <laughs> for people to take it. I don't want people to to be forced to do anything, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that may be a bigger issue, but um, <laughs> um, no. I just I don't see how that takes away from the game. Everybody loves watching home runs. I think for our generation, my generation specifically. We don't watch baseball because it's one, it's 162 games. Two, it's really, I'm sure there's numbers will tell a different story, but it just doesn't seem like the powers, the power's not there anymore. You're not expecting to see home runs night in and night out anymore. It's more, there's more pitching duels. And I just, I prefer to watch home run derbies night in and night out. Yeah, I think if like you had guys chasing after the all to all time home run derby every year, I think that would be that'd be preferable to me. Right? Like mm-hmm. this guy's gonna get close. You know, like that might be something I pay attention to. Like just either engage with it on ESPN, like go on there to see what happened or YouTube or whatever. I might do that. I don't do that I think steroids are good, especially in this place like baseball um i'll move on from that because we spent kind of a lot of time on that uh, 
podcast in general, but <laughs> I love steroids. I don't do steroids, but I love steroids because of I'm a watcher of these sports, not a player of these sports. I played these sports and um, I thought I could be good at a lot of them when I was young and I just wasn't to that standard. Steroids would not have changed any of that because I didn't work hard enough to be good at these sports. Right. So, um, did I work hard? Yeah. On occasion I did. And on other occasions, I just sat around and ate ice cream and did whatever I wanted. And that's why you're, you're not good both. at things. <laughs> I, yeah. Like there's the opportunities to be the, to be at the gym at 5 a.m. and then to do a weights workout and then go to go and like, you know, practice doing takedowns for wrestling for an hour before you go to school and then do the same thing an hour after you get done with wrestling practice. I wasn't willing to do that. Right. Um, I did some of that stuff. Like I would go to the weight room every day before school, but I wasn't willing to put in the work to be great. A lot of these guys are, and a lot of guys have more talent than I do, but it, a lot of it comes to work. And I wasn't willing to do that. And steroids wouldn't change that because the work has to be put in either way. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'll get to my next uh, hot in the streets. The Little League World Series is back. If you want to watch like pure baseball that doesn't have steroids, nothing like that going on in it, take a, take a look at that. I know that when I was younger, I really enjoyed like flipping this on and like following the stories behind it. ESPN does a pretty nice job of like, really pushing this out there and i saw recently that it's back it's going to be on here shortly or maybe it's currently on you can check that out if you like steroid free baseball um and then my last one is that the whole bears organization stinks in general they don't even know how to grow grass like properly and we have the internet like just look up like how do i take care of turf so that there isn't brown spots and it looks like crap all over the place. That's all you got to do. You don't even have to be qualified. I could do this. Like Riley could do this. They could figure out how to like, at least for the first preseason game, have high quality grass at Soldier Field for one day and you can do it. Get get your stuff straight. Figure it out. Let's Let's go. Come on, Bears. You can be better than this. You're not better than this, but you could be better than this. It, it makes me sick even sticking up for the Bears franchise, but I think there's a concert the day before, or the, like a couple days before. But yeah, I agree. It, it, it makes me so happy just seeing them get ripped apart for every single little thing. Again, I'm sure most people listening know uh, my girlfriend's a huge Bears fan. So just any chance I get to like kind of claw at that, it just it just makes me happy just seeing that organization be a fire, uh, just be in the dumpster. So that's always nice. And going back, the Little League World Series, I'm so glad you brought this up. I think it's such an underrated sporting event, especially for for younger people. Because growing up, I always watched it. Like I always knew is during the beginning of football camp. And I like every day between two a days, I'd come home, 
nap, wake up, watch the Little League World Series until, you know, my workout or whatever. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it's, and it's got good storylines. And there's an occasional, like, funny meme that comes out of it. Like this year's somebody's favorite actress is a porn star. So it, it, it's always, it's always just, um, useful so, for that type of stuff. So this is some kid that's under 12 years old whose favorite actress is a porn star. Yes, that is, that is correct. And okay. So that's, that's very interesting to me as a, 36-year-old male. I don't know the names of any porn stars. Yeah. Like, not anymore. When I, I was 20, I did. But, like, I definitely do not. Yeah, as as a 12-year-old, I don't even think I knew what porn was quite yet. So that, that blew my mind. Yeah, so 12, I'm pretty sure that was probably, like, my introduction time frame. To sure, porn. yeah. So it's right in that area, like 12, 13. <laughs> so... I mean, maybe at that time I would have had an idea of like who I was, who I was <laughs> interested in as poor, but that's sure. 12 is pretty dang early. So, yeah. and to be fair, I did not have, I did not have the, I had the internet when I was 12, but the internet the wasn't what, like the internet wasn't what it was today. I didn't even have like a, like a Napster or a LimeWire or something, which you don't, you're not even like recognizing those, but those are I, um, yeah. file sharing networks where okay. yeah, there was a n- number of porn videos that got downloaded okay. on that by someone else, never by me. I wouldn't do shit sure. like that. No, but no. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. So like you had to like get them from someone else who already owned them or something. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not positive, but like, I don't know if I could like name one porn star. I mean, maybe I've heard porn stars' names, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I could name one. I plead the fifth on that one, but <laughs> no, nah, I think I'm not saying that I don't watch porn. I just don't know what any of their names are. I'm not that interested anymore. I feel like you that's can not what I'm interested like in. A, like a charity spice or something like that and it'd be yeah i could type of... yeah i could make one up and it'd be like right on right on the <laughs> nose right so <laughs> yeah that's that's that is great that uh there's i think it's 12 and under right that's literally or is it 15 and under i think it's 14 or 15 and under but either way okay i i mean i could be wrong but yeah so yeah, I think that's pretty respectable on that kid's part. Maybe it was just like the dad was like, just tell him this is your favorite actress. Uh, he and definitely like, came out fact, on top on that. Yeah, the fact that uh, ESPN's like, yep, we're <laughs> going to show this. Very respectable. Maybe they had no idea. Whoever does oh, the they... graphics <laughs> didn't even have a clue. That's great. Not. That's great. I'm glad, I'm glad you had that uh, hot in the streets peace to kind of engage that was that's a great one that is a great one i'm sure pat would have some uh good things to say about it uh i guess if people are wondering pat's out saving the world again this week he'll be back should be back next week so he's done saving the world after next week world should be saved completely safe when he gets back 
Uh, all right, let's move on to favorites on the fly. So um, I'm going to cover Pat's crushing dingers. Um, basically, what we are is two and four in the last six. Uh, we lost tonight two to one. We dropped two to St. Louis. We went one and two against St. Louis. And we've dropped two to the Dodgers, won one against the Dodgers. Um, we're currently six, sitting at 62 and 54. Um, I'm not sure how many games back. So before the game tonight, we were two games back of the Cardinals. So depending on whether the Cardinals won or lost, we'll stick at two games or move to three games today. So um, covered baseball a little bit in Riley's Rage. Um, new segment on the podcast every week. See what he's angry about. Um, the yeah, like the Brewers' morale is just not good. They got to figure out some way to rip off like eight in a row and get their confidence back. If you can rip off something like that and get the whole team rolling, like yeah, we're gonna win. We're gonna be awesome, and just have that mindset. You know, you can go you know, eight and five, 10 and seven throughout the rest of the year. Like just keep it up. Right. They're yeah. They're just, I feel like they're in a tough spot. Cause I know seven of their next 10 games against is against the Dodgers, who is the hottest team in baseball. And then the other three are against the Cubs in Chicago, which is never easy, no matter, you know, how they play. It's always a good rivalry game. So I feel Especially like even for the Brewers. Yeah, exactly. I think if they can even split 500 against the Dodgers and then win three or sweep the Cubs or even take two, that's that's better than what we're doing. And that's something positive they have to take out of it because the Dodgers are a damn good team. Yeah. So I guess my attitude towards baseball is, and like you'd be such a good team if you could do this, is just win every series, right? So go in. Win two out of three, two out of four. And so I'll I'll say a push is a win on that. If you could do that, you'd be probably the best team in baseball history or something dumb. And I don't know what like that actually equals out to. You know, if you're you got a two game series and you split and you got a four game series and you split and you got and you win your three game series, you know, what would you end up being on the year? I'm not positive, but like You'd be dang good, right? Uh, moving on to driving fast and turning left. Martin Truex Jr. finished sixth. He led for zero laps. We've got two races left to get a win. Currently, we are going to be left out of the chase for the cup if we don't get a win. Um, he was at Richmond last week, and that's supposed to be his course. Like, that's he's a Richmond king, right? So, like, he does very, very well at Richmond all the time, and he just couldn't pull it off this week. So win a race or sit on the sideline. You don't sit on the sidelines. I don't think in racing. I think you still get to race in those things, but you don't get points scored or whatever. So uh, he's not there at the moment. A little bit rough. I think Martin Truex Jr. just needs to be better. Yeah, I 
This might be one of the first times I've been, like, actually, I haven't been watching the races, but, like, kind of keeping up with it. Like, I'm, I'm, I know we covered it before, but I really like how NASCAR does its playoff system. Like, it keeps everybody on their toes for a long period of time. Yeah, and I think that it's coming down to the last couple races, because if either Ryan Blaney or Martin Truex Jr. wins either of these races, they're both going to boot somebody who already won a race out too. Unless they let everybody who wins one in, which I guess is possible. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to go back to the onion bag, back into the back of the onion bag with Riley. How are the tots doing? Oh, finally, uh, the season started, started out with the 4 1 win, which. Against a team, we should probably win every time. So um, they spell so their game. name awfully funny, right? It's Southampton, but they only have one H. And so I didn't like that. I talked about it on the last podcast. It's kind of, I told England to get their sh- their stuff together so that uh, we can uh, just like make sense of what they're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of their team names are like, you kind of scratch your head at how some. Some team names are pronounced. Um, and then this past weekend, they had a very big rivalry game against a team who were kind of fighting for the same same spot in the league. Uh, turned out to be 2-2, a good tie. I'm sure if anyone has social media that maybe follows an account that would show soccer, would see a fight after the game. I know it's a soccer fight, so it's not like an actual fight. They're all kind of shoving and talking. But uh, our coach got into a little bit of a shoving match, um, which was cool. Usually our, our coaches are known to be pushovers. Um, and the team actually like looks like they care for once. Uh, they're fighting for games that like they had no business in being in this game, and they still found a way to – tie it which is a big deal on the road against a rival you still get a point in the standings so it's just nice um seeing we're in games that we don't deserve to be in which usually it's a sign of a good team like a lot of packer games for example maybe we don't deserve to win those games but because we since we have the quality and the experience i guess we still find a way to win those games and that's kind of where we're at with Tottenham hopefully we're only two games in but it's it's looking good they're a fun team to watch they score a lot of goals so even if you don't like soccer good chance you'd see them score a goal or two if you watch their game yeah so that's probably because banging on drum came on board like they've become like a serious team now that we're here um yeah pretty much that they realize that we will just drop them you know pretty shortly yeah just like that if they yeah. don't perform to our level. So I get it. It's all on us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that we are the reason that they're good. Uh, so two games into the season so far, how long will the season last? Roughly what time of year will it end? So usually how I like to think of it, it's like a school year. It goes from September to May, but with okay. the world cup being where it is this year, it started kind of a month early. And then during the World Cup, which will be like mid-November to mid to end of December, that time, like Thanksgiving to Christmas time, 
that the league will, you know, be on pause and the World Cup will happen and then after it'll resume. So I don't know exactly the times for this year, but it's it'll be from now till probably mid to end of May. So it's a long season. Oh, nice. So they'll be they'll be playing for a while. Yeah, yeah. And then they'll be in the Champions League, which again, if you don't know soccer, maybe you know of that tournament. It's most prestigious tournament outside of the World Cup, I would say. Um so it's nice to see us back in that playing against big teams and meaningful games again. Yeah, very, very good. All right, so we should go whatever number of weeks I think that they play basically one game a week. Yeah, give or take. So probably like 40-0, and 50-0, and 0. easy peasy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, so, so we're in the Premier League. You can watch some of those games on USA. Pick a team, you, start following it along. The Tots are yeah, probably the best team that has ever existed, so jump on board. And there is as much as I don't want to say it, there's, there's a team also in England that gets a lot of television time with a couple Americans, again, which is not like a – it's not common to see Americans on national television for soccer, so – they have a team leads in England. There's two Americans plus a coach from the Milwaukee area, which is that's actually successful, which an American coach being successful in Europe is it's not a thing. So it's maybe building something special over there. So if you have any need another reason to watch it, there's an American or a Wisconsin tie and an American tie in that team. So, yeah. So if, uh, the tots kind of crapped the bed for six, seven weeks in a row, jump on leads and be there, be a fan of theirs because why not? They got Americans on their team. Yeah. All right. Speaking of Americans, let's move on to the Packers. So we got kind of a lot of news in the last week or so. So since Friday, when I put the last one out, um, Tunyon and Watson are both come off the pup list. So we're going to have a good opportunity for our receiving core to get even better. So Romeo has been doing well. Watson should come in and play pretty well. Tunyon should solidify the tight end spot. Uh, Cobb, Watson, Lazard. Cobb, Watson, and Lazard. Watkins, Sammy Watkins. Watkins. Yep, should all yep. be plus plus players. They also signed uh, Travis Fulgham, who is a wide receiver that played for the Eagles for a few years. He's got like three or four games where just really produced a lot and then kind of fell off the planet, right? Didn't do much outside of that. But if you can tap into the potential that he does have, he's going to have a he will be productive and be helpful to the team. I don't know if we need an extra wide receiver on the team. I was really, really hoping Danny Davis, a former Badger, would be the last guy to make the team, right? So um, if we're going to have an extra wide receiver, I was hoping it was going to be Danny Davis. He'd do something special teams-wise or whatever to solidify his spot. 
I don't know that this Travis Fulgham uh, signing affects that, but I know that they signed him. That happened today on the 17th. Uh, got anything to say about the wide receiver room? Um, Riley? No, I guess maybe touch on a headline. I know Rodgers was kind of upset with all the drops, so maybe that – I'm not going to say that signing solves it, but I think it maybe puts everybody on their toes, maybe all the rookies on their toes, that their spot isn't solidified. So I don't know. I don't know if you have anything to say about that subject, but I know yeah. Rogers wasn't too thrilled with the drops. It does sound like from media reports that he is getting fed up with the drops, missed assignments, running the wrong routes, things like that. So, and to be fair, I like the fact that our quarterback and our coaching staff are holding our wide receivers to a high standard, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I think you have to hold yourself to a high standard. I don't think that it all comes down to external motivations. So you have to hold yourself to a high standard. But so do the people around you. Otherwise, you don't perform at a high standard. So in order for these guys to get better, Rodgers should hold them at a high standard. So should the coaching staff. And they should hold themselves to a high standard. Like, I don't drop, I'm the receiver that never drops a ball, right? In a game, I don't drop balls. Like, that's the attitude they should have. Um, but they're young. We've had young wide receivers who have run into this before. Um, definitely Devonte Adams. I saw tweets that Jordy Nelson was this, James Jones was this, and there was one more. I can't remember off the top of my head, but guys that just didn't catch the ball super well, especially in the preseason or in their rookie year. And so that was 100% the case with a guy who was considered one of the top five wide receivers in the league in Jamar Chase. Last year in training camp, he just didn't catch the ball that well. So these are solvable problems, but they're not solvable if you don't hold people to a high standard and you don't hold yourself to a high standard. So hopefully we got, if they don't already hold themselves to a high standard, listen to banging on the drum, and then you can start holding yourself to, to a high standard. You got to think, too, all the veteran help is there in terms of Rodgers, Randall Cobb, Sammy Watkins. I, I mean, he's got experience, too. So they got the experience and knowledge. They just... I feel like they just put it all together. We're we're quick and well, so I don't know. I think we're we're close to that next step with this wide receiver core. Hopefully, yeah. And I think I think that our um, learning curve will be pretty steep, right? So like they might start here and then just kind of mm -hmm. skyrocket upwards, right? Once it starts clicking, oh, this is my route. This is what I'm doing. And that might take six weeks into the season, which is pretty typical of a rookie wide receiver. I would argue that that was the same with Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Like they didn't come out and have 180 week games in the first five games. Like Jamar Chase wasn't elite in week one. He was good, but he's not elite, right? He's now elite. Jam Justin Jefferson, I don't remember him in the, his rookie year being this elite level wide receiver in the first four or five games, 
Now, in the last 10 games, he was. And he has been since then. So maybe we get six games in, and these guys figure out the offense, figure out what the NFL is, and they become elite. That's what, that's the goal, is that that's where our wide receivers go. You don't have to be elite today. And Devonta Adams wasn't elite for four years, right? So year one, he was okay. Year two, he was not good. People wanted him cut in year two. Year three, I don't think he was like great, great. And then year four, like he starts turning the corner and he becomes really, really good. So it doesn't have to happen this minute. Um, anyway, getting off our wide receivers. Um, they're going to be fine. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people are going to start hating on Romeo Dobbs due to the number of drops he's having. And I think just give him time. Give him time, and those drops are going to go away. Now, yeah. if he doesn't get opportunities, those drops will go away too, right? So if he never makes it to the field, he doesn't get drops. Uh, he has more drops than most guys in our offense right now because he gets the ball more now, right? He's dropping the ball. Like, that's not excusable. But I would guess the guy with the most targets every year has the most drops every year, right? If you only get 20 targets, you're not going to drop the ball 18 of those times. Now, if you get 160 targets, you might drop the ball 18 times. I know, I know, like when I would look at something like that, uh, a guy like Terrell Owens almost every year led the league in drops. That's a guy who's borderline Hall of Fame, probably should be in the Hall of Fame. Led the league in drops. When he was an elite wide receiver, that was the case. And that's, I would take a, a Terrell Owens on any team. Anytime, oh, any yeah. day. Guy's a hard worker. He's a little bit of a head case, so maybe like not that piece. But the actual on-field talent, you take him every time. Oh yeah. Uh, so we lost our first preseason game with the Packers. That I do not think is a big deal at all. I don't care. Um, we did play a team that had their expected uh, starter in at quarterback, and we have who we expect to be our second round guy, and we kept it close. It was a seven point game or something like that. That's doable, right? So that's a team that is we are in contention with. I don't think there's a team in the league that we can't beat, especially if we play our game, right? Um, oh yeah. I'm not too worried about whether Rodgers is going to be ready for the season. I'm not worried whether Bakhtiari is going to be ready for the season. I'm not worried about. Um, anybody on the back end of our defense. I'm not worried about anybody on the front end of our defense. I'm not worried about anyone on our offensive line or any of our skill position players. You can do two series, get a couple preseason snaps in, and I'm cool with that. Not worried about it. Um, lost the first one, but I feel pretty good about where everybody was kind of at. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I do wish... Probably unpopular opinion. I do wish Rodgers would even take two or three series in the in the preseason because I I feel like he always starts out slow in the season. And I think if he's 
complaining as much as he is about wide receiver drops, I don't see I mean, obviously you get some something out of practice and joint practices with the Saints, but if you it's different in a in a game. And I know preseason's not like regular season, but I just I, I think it'd really benefit everybody if even Rogers played with the wide receiver core, you know, the starters for even two or three series just to have them get an idea. And I, I know it doesn't benefit Rogers, but I think it goes a long way just to see how the ball comes out of Rogers hand in the game situation. Um, I don't think it makes make or breaks anything at all. I, I do trust Rogers. I'm sure he'll be just fine. Like how he has been for, you know, this past six years without him touching the field during preseason. But I, I do, I think it would benefit a little bit for him to play a series or two, at least one of these games. Yeah. So definitely a possibility, right? That like, getting hit a couple times, the starting offense, like seeing some success could be good for the Packers. I agree with that. All right. Again, I I trust them to, even if they drop their first game, which I never want to lose to the Vikings. It makes me sick to my stomach. But if, if they're still coming out of that game, you know, winning how they have been the past few years, I'm fine with that. Yeah, so uh, speaking of uh, winning our first couple um, actual season games, if we win the first two, and presumably the Bears lose the first two, right? So they play the Niners and they play us. We will be tied in the all-time wins column with the with the Bears. So the Bears have the most wins all time in the NFL. Now that's partially due to the fact that the Packers and the Bears are two of the oldest franchises in the NFL. Well, if you wanted to have the all-time win record, maybe you should have started earlier, like the greatest franchise on the planet and the worst franchise on the planet. But, so, we were down 80 games in 1992. We were 80 games, we had 80 less wins in 1992 than the Bears did. That is like 4.8 seasons. We were down 4.8 seasons worth of wins. And this year we will take them probably by seven or eight games. We'll be up 80 in the next four seasons probably. (laughs) Uh, I I just thought it was an interesting stat. Something I saw on Twitter that – yeah. we had like we're we are going to pass the Chicago Bears as the all time winningest franchise in NFL history since nineteen I believe it's nineteen twenty. And it's always nice, I feel like, doing it against the Bears. Like if it was any other franchise, it'd be like, All right, like we okay, but like I feel like it's the only thing the Bears have left to cheer about yeah and to like do it to them would be kind of (laughs) cool yeah exactly (laughs) 
Um, anyway, we'll get back into kind of some preseason news. Rashawn Gary had an injury scare. Sounds like, like it was relatively minor. Should be back to practicing in the next few days. Uh, things I saw in the game. Love seems like he's progressing well. He looks more comfortable every time I see him take the field. Um, I get that it's preseason. And he threw a few picks. and But he's willing to take some risks. And that's the place to do it is in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Um, I would only put one pick on him, right, that he makes makes a ridiculously bad read. Yeah. And or I shouldn't even say a bad read, right? So sounds like wide receivers went in the wrong space. But you still can't throw that ball. Like you have yeah. to understand that they didn't go there. Yeah. And then adjust from there. Um so I'd only put one on him. Seems like in the other two, so Dobbs got a like a welcome to the NFL moment where the safety was like Oh, you're not going to hold on to this super tight. I'm just going to take it from you. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I kind of threw out there on Twitter that those are the catches that, uh, Devonta Adams made. And then somebody yeah. correctly retorted to me, like he didn't make those catches in when is in year two or year one. Like those were catches that got past him in year one and two. He wasn't that good in year one and two. Yeah. So like, we can still have a lot of hope for Dobbs. And I think that was a learning experience. That that's something that he realized if I get my hands on this, I can't let anybody take it ever. Like doesn't matter if I'm on the ground, doesn't matter if I'm running down the field. Nobody takes the ball out of my hands. I take the ball and I keep it. Yeah. Um and then like another one, like just bounced off a guy's chest straight into the air. Uh, 49er guy catches it. Yeah. Nothing yeah. Love could do about it. Not I mean, really. Pick yeah. a different receiver to throw it to, but others yeah. can't, right? Yeah. And so I think I think that's fine. Like that's the way Rodgers gets a bunch of his. Um I know in the past Brett Barb got a bunch like that too. That he would throw it too hard into a situation like that, or um it'd bounce off a guy's fingers because he only had one speed that he was throwing it, and then he'd end up kind of tip drill stuff, and guy would catch it. Yeah. Um, I I already touched on the fact that we signed Travis Fulgham, but hopefully he can round out a wide receiver that we get the five best wide receivers that we can on that team, and we do some we get some production. Yeah. Uh, our next Packer game, I believe, is on Friday again. Yes, it is. It's on Friday again. Do you know who we are against, Riley, offhand? Um, take me two seconds. It looks like the Saints, who we had a joint practice with. Oh, yeah. So that actually makes kind of a lot of sense. That yeah. We're already here. We've done that in the past with Houston, I believe. I don't know if we did one last year with all the COVID stuff. Probably not. Be my assumption that we didn't do it in practice. Yeah, we've done it in the past. I just don't know if it was last year. Right. So, anyway, they 
they'll have a a game against them. Maybe maybe these two teams that are going to be playing might have the best defenses in the league, and we're not going to see any of those guys go up against either offense, right? So the guys that are really the elite level number ones probably won't play more than one or two series, and that might only be in the third game that we get to see guys mm-hmm. like that. And maybe we don't see them at all. Like, And I'm not opposed to that. Like, Take one yeah. game in the regular season as a preseason game, and um, that's where they get their reps. They get their air under them. You might take a loss. You might take a win. I don't know that it matters. Um, anyway, so the Packers are out on Friday night. The 19th can check them out. Uh, Love should probably take the first half snaps again, would be my assumption. So if you want to get a good look at what he's up to, that's the place to go. And wrapping up our Packers stuff, I think that's going to wrap us up for the evening. Riley, you got anything else that you want to get into? Not that I can think of think of off the top of my head. Um, kind of reiterate the Packers stuff. Again, good chance to look at the wide receiving core, too, because all of our, most of our wide receiving core is young, and they're going to be playing um, probably most of the snaps the first half. So I'm excited to see how they do, even just in terms of the preseason overall. I think preseason's underrated. It's fun to see a couple positions in the future of them like i'm not obviously excited to watch the packers overall in preseason but it's always fun watching the newer rookies with high hopes yeah yep i would agree that like get some hype around these young guys um so let's uh transition into some older players so there is some news coming out of um like a Wisconsin sports radio network. And I can't remember exactly which one it is, but they're cutting the show that they do with Leroy Butler and Gary Ellerson. And they're doing this now as a, like the guy that you have on all the time, just got into the hall of fame. I don't understand how you can be that stupid. He just got there. Right, he just became super famous. Like he reestablished his fame, and now you want to move on from him. Doesn't make any sense in my mind. Yeah. But so this is a call to arms for both Leroy Butler and Gary Ellerson, both former Packers. You are invited one hundred percent of the time to record with banging on the drum. No ifs, ands, or buts. I'll send you the email every week. You give me your email. You'll get an email to come on our podcast every week. We'll chat it up. We do Wisconsin sports. We do the Packers. We do the Badgers. We do the Bucks. We do the Brewers. Everybody. Uh, You're more than welcome to come hang out with us every week. Yeah. And I don't know what, happen at all but I'll, i woke up this morning to people like why would they cut this and um i don't think i told the story i'll say it quickly i i got my twitter account restricted for i think 
talking shit. I was I was half in the bag after the Tots game, and I was DMing random people who are talking crap. And this is one of those instances. I got my account fully back last night, and this morning I went straight to that radio account that cut them and just said it, it wasn't anything malicious, but just kind of like, why would you cut a, a program that seems to be in the state's best interest and your market's best interest? So I doesn't make sense to me. They they obviously have an open invite to talk to us whenever. Oh yeah, and so um, the, more than likely they never even see that they have an open invite to talk yeah. to us whenever. However, um, Leroy Butler, we talked about like our ideal guests on one of our podcasts, like really early on. Pat and I did, and Leroy Butler is mine. Like mm-hmm. that is the guy that I would want to talk to. And like, just talk about his career, like how everything like came to be. He's my favorite player of all time. Like that is, that's my, that is like, if I would be able to acquire one autograph from a Packer and I probably could, like, it's not that he doesn't exist in the Wisconsin world. If I went up to Green Bay, there's probably an opportunity that I could even like look on social media and see where he is and get an autograph. Right. So it's not impossible. But like, that's the guy. If I ever was like seeking an autograph, that's the guy I would be seeking it for. All right. With that, we're going to wrap up our Badger breakdown of from banging on the drum. I would just like to thank everybody who is listening, tuning in, like paying attention. Um, Next week, I think we're going to get into the types of gambles or games or bets or um, challenges that we will do as a podcast. So if you guys want to tune into that, that's kind of the things we're going to do. And then the punishments we're going to deal out for those should be relatively interesting as well. Um, That's what we're going to be up to next week. But, I just want to thank everybody for listening. We love you guys. We appreciate it. Um, I'm going to give my little spiel here quick. Make sure you download it on every device that you can think of, every device that your family has, your significant other, your kids, anything. Download it. Um, if, If you're really feeling like we need a little boost, you can just press play. And so at least one device should listen to what we have to say. That'd be cool. But all the other ones you can just put down to volume zero and let it roll through. Right. Uh, all right, Riley, can you kick us to the intro? Um, I'm going to add something quickly. Thanks for uh, sticking with us through the dog days of summer. I know it's not easy, um, but with football season, coming out three weeks away four weeks away um i think it's going to start picking back up um not in terms of quality but just in terms of us being available talking about sports that we care about again um i'm really excited to do it again i just started last i don't know towards the end of last season so i'm excited to do full season i'm excited to see where that progresses throughout the season so yeah, Thanks I'm very listening. excited about a full season as well. 
right? So yeah. we started in November timeframe. I'm excited about a full season as well. That'll be that'll be cool. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I probably won't say this right. I know Patrick gets mad when I don't, but all you suckers that are doubting the Brewers off this low trade deadline, whatever after comes after that, and whoever doubts the Badgers and the Packers in the preseason can eat our shorts. Roll it. All them suckers that doubted the Packers King, eat my shows. All them suckers that doubted the Packers King, eat my shows. Eat them. All them suckers that doubted the Packers King, eat my shows. Eat my shows.